Hello and welcome to this brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Podcast. I am your co-host Dave Kale, back after a uh, one episode hiatus or, or absence. <laughs> I was gone last time. If you've been listening, <laughs> uh, but here I am. I'm 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 back, um, and I'm I'm coming from a we we completed a successfully completed a move, and uh, I'm at wow. we're at the new place, kind of uh, living Excellent. the semblance of a normal life. And I even cool. have an, I now have an office here. So wow. Is, that is luxury right there. Yeah. Now it's not, it's not an air conditioned office, which is unfortunate. <laughs> well, can't have everything. You can't have everything. Can't have everything. So I'm here and I'm excited to talk about, uh, um, on, to do part three of uh, the uh, men storylines or mm-hmm. in the 21st century, I think we refer to them as humans. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And uh, and I'm excited to not get a, not get nearly as far through it as Corey thinks we will. That's... Speaking of Corey, <laughs> I'm joined as always by the Tolkien professor Corey Olson and the Tolkien maven Trish Lambert. How are you two on this fine, warm evening? Very good. Very Excellent. good. Yes. Good I'm... to hear your voice again. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Glad uh, things are working out well for you. That Yeah, I also... Uh, well, see, my office is not air conditioned either, um, but it's in the basement. So summertime, I'm good. Wintertime, it gets pretty chilly down here. But uh, <laughs> but summertime, I'm 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 uh, I'm pretty happy down here. So that's good. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. Nice. How about you, Trish? What's your what's your temperature situation? You, you oh my up gosh, down there? are you kidding? Yeah, it's going to be the hottest of the it's three, like, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like you know ninety two, ninety three every day. So it's like uh. So, you know, I go out in the mornings before the sun's actually, you know, come up over the horizon and do what I need to do outside. And then in the evenings, Retreat. right around now, usually, actually, I can, I can go outside and not completely, <laughs> you know, keel over. But, yeah, I don't – and people are – the thing is people say, oh, it's so hot in Texas. And it's like, yeah, but it's only for three months out of the year. The other nine months are fine. But the truth is those three months are just hellish. They're pretty brutal, yeah. And I'm only – yeah, I'm only halfway through the first month. So yippee, yeah. skippy. yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, no, this whole uh, going outside thing, you know, like I, I barely do it anymore. <laughs> you know, I, these days I, 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 I often don't leave my house more than once or twice a week, honestly. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. And, I know. Uh, you know, so today actually I, I had to go out and run an errand and I was, and it's, it was always 90 degrees and sunny here. And I'm like, man, this being outside thing is for the birds. <laughs> like, I, I got to get back indoors where it's get back into my basement where it's cool. Or it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> kidding. yeah I, I have forgot. I have not forgotten the taste of strawberries, Karina, but I have forgotten the yellow face uh, pretty much. I was uh, I was like out trying to like work on my phone and I was, you know, I was like doing Signum work and talking to a bunch of people. And I'm like, why can't I see the screen on my phone? I'm like, oh, yeah, the, I've, I've, I've almost forgotten the yellow face. You know, I can't <laughs> standing here under the noonday sun. And, you know, it's. <laughs> Anyway, that's such as <laughs> such is the uh, world of 2020. But let us uh, let us move forward because we've got a bunch of things to do, and I'm uh, certain we're going to get through everything. Unlike Dave, I am oh, supremely sure. confident that we're going to get through both Hot or and Amlock tonight. Um, 
Uh, at least I think we've got a fighting chance to do that because they're they're kind of interconnected. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we'll 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 see how we do. But first, a couple important announcements because uh, there's a lot going on at Signum right now. One thing is, of course, we've rescheduled Mythmoot for the beginning of August. Um, that is still scheduled to happen, like in 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 3D uh, uh, on August 6th through 9th. Down in Virginia, down in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, so you can find information on this at signumuniversity.org slash MythMoot uh, to sign up for MythMoot. Just had another registration today. It's always fun to see MythMoot registrations coming in. It's been delayed, of course. And so I can almost, you know, and it's been so long since we've been able to do any kind of gathering that... Um, I've uh, almost forgotten what it was like, but I'm really excited, uh, really hoping for the opportunity to get to uh, 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 to get to 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 see people again. Um, uh, but <laughs> Karina was just saying, has anyone done a supercut of Corey saying I'm supremely confident yet? <laughs> it's only a matter of time if no. Uh, I, I, I hear that. I hear that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um uh, our other two announcements are, are two big things that are happening right now at Signum. One, of course, is the Signum Path program. Uh, you can go to path.signumuniversity.org, which is whoop, this page here, um, to get information on our courses. This is our big new initiative here at Signum, uh, as we are uh, wanting to fill a gap uh, to provide opportunities uh, for people to improve themselves, to improve what are often called soft skills, what we call foundational skills. Um, which have just an enormous impact uh, on all of the things that um, uh, that all the things that you do at work, uh, no matter what your career is, they're the most universally applicable job skills that you can get. Uh, things like uh, writing and oral communications and uh, and emotional intelligence and things like that. Um, remarkably useful. So you can go to our badges page and look at all of our badges. If you click the register button, you will see the courses that we're offering here in July and August. Our courses are little mini courses that run every month. Um, and, um, and we're running a special this summer because this is our first summer uh, and we really want to encourage people, you know, we're, we're, we, we want people to experience this new program. Uh, and so we're offering uh, for the end of the summer, we're offering a, a two for one uh, program. So if you sign up for a course in July, we'll also let you d- get a class in, in August completely for free. Uh, so sign up for any of our July classes and you can get an, an August course for free. So here's how it works. Go to our, so this is just, again, you go to the path page, path.signumuniversity.org, click on the register button uh, to bring you here, sign up for one of our July classes, and then send an email to our PATH email address, path at signumu.org, and just let us know which August class you like, and we'll we'll manually sign you up for that behind the scenes. Um, and um, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's the, the special that we're running for the rest of the summer. So I hope that you will avail yourselves of that. Let people know, spread the word about that. Also, uh, you know, so for those of you, I know that, you know, many people who are listening to uh, film film or watching it or joining us live here um, are folks who have been supporting Signum for a long time. So just, you know, another way that you can really help as we're trying to, uh, you know, to spread the word about our new program here um, is if you uh, for companies that you work for or, you know, uh, people that, you know, um, we really want to connect with with HR folks, um, with people who are human resources directors or counselors or people who are training, training managers. Directors. Yeah, yeah, training directors. Yeah. Um, 
because uh, these are the people who usually have, at the same time, a very keen understanding of the value of these kinds of skills, but also, but often have very limited resources for being able to uh, improve uh, these kinds of foundational skills within their companies. And so we would love to be able to talk with them and set up basically referral programs where they can send people from their companies to us. They can take the courses individually and get reimbursed by the company. So it's a very, very small investment uh, of money and only investment in completed credentials, essentially. Um, so it's a really low cost, high value for the company. Um, and it <clears throat> enables us basically to help to supplement uh, their training offerings uh, at right. no trouble and little cost to them. So anyway, really interested to um, uh, to 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 talk with folks uh, about that. Um, so definitely, if you uh, if you have someone, if you know if you are, know some of the human resources folks at your at your work. Um, or you're you know, friends with someone who is in a position like this, by all means, send us an email. You can send an email to me personally or send an email uh, better because I'll get this too, um, to path at signumu.org. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'd love to have an introduction and, and uh, uh, make some more of those connections. That would be uh, that would be really good. Um, and so yeah. Karita asks, which of the Silmarillion characters would benefit most from a Signum Path course? I vote for Fanor, emotional, emotional intelligence. intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> no, no question. His writing skills are really top notch. I mean, you've got to give him credit for that. Right. Um, but um, uh, also a master of rhetoric. Exactly. Right. Well, she says he's a little too good at power, powerful presentations. So. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, you, you want to talk about powerful presentations? Fanor could definitely do a little master class yeah. in that. There's no question. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he definitely has some weaknesses, you know, I, I would say. And um, yeah, I think conflict resolution and emotional intelligence His person to person. Really, that's the badge that the Fanor needs. Obviously, yeah, that's the badge for the, yeah, the Fanorian really badge. badge. That's the Fanorian badge. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so uh, anyhow, I definitely wanted to, to let you guys know about the two for one thing. Again, our July courses start for first full week of July. So uh, please do uh, take advantage of this uh, soon and, and share it. Tell people about it, especially we're doing a lot of promotions on LinkedIn, um, uh, uh, you know, to sort of be uh, reaching out to folks in the corporate world there. Uh, so definitely those of you who are on LinkedIn, connect with me personally on LinkedIn and definitely uh, like our Signum Path page and um uh, share our stuff and everything. It's uh, yeah. Corey's posting cool. a series of articles there that I think yeah. you'd find really interesting. If you haven't started there, then if you go to his profile, you'll see all, all of them, and start with the earliest one and move on up because he's kind of building a case. It's really a good, really yeah. good, really really good. Through, working through yeah. sort of the rationale for what we're doing and why we're doing it and everything essentially. Um, right. But uh, yeah, anyway, okay, so that's Signum Path stuff. The last announcement uh, on other big things that Signum is also doing. Um, uh, the humanities is really where we're focusing. And, and, you know, so I mean, in a nutshell, one of the major things that's happening at Signum University this year is 2020, the year that Signum University looks around, realizes that humanities are in a mess everywhere and decides we need to do something about this. Uh, so we're we're kind of attacking both ends there. We're we're both looking at um, the sort of the outcome of the fact that humanities have been in a mess for a while. That is that people are really lacking a lot of these skills. And so we're trying to go and help folks who have been who have been, uh, uh, you know, who, who really could supplement that. 
But we're also kind of wanting wanting to go back to the other end as well uh, and improve the teaching of humanities at the undergraduate level moving forward. We're planning to launch an undergraduate program in the humanities starting. In, it's, it's, it's a future project. We wouldn't be able to start that until the fall 2022 semester. So we're two years out uh, from beginning the actual program. But we're having our first public conversations about this. So um, next month, at the end of July, July 25th, 2020, we're going to be holding an online conference, conference, uh, which we're calling the Summit on Teaching the Humanities. And the goal here is we're inviting any faculty member uh, who teaches in the humanities, and we'd like to bring as many as we can, as many faculty members, humanities faculty members as we can together to discuss. We have some proposals, some ideas uh, for a new humanity, for a new approach to teaching the humanities, which is also really a new approach to doing undergraduate degrees, honestly. Um, we're really looking for uh, finding ways to design a new digitally native approach to higher education for the 21st century because, uh, to be honest, I think that there's a, there's a lot of ways in which higher education is really floundering in the 21st century right now, uh, a floundering which has been accelerated by the COVID crisis. Um, and... You know, we think that there is a really bright new future ahead of higher education, and we're really interested to 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 pioneer that and to pave the way there, and especially uh, to find better ways uh, to do the humanities in higher education. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, and again, both of these things, both Signum Path and our undergraduate program, are both sort of the the two different prongs of this uh, these initiatives in the humanities uh, that Signum is is moving into here in 2020 and moving forward. So that's the big stuff going on at Signum these days. So the two the two take homes that I wanted to, uh, or is it takes home? Where do you pluralize it? I'm not sure. But anyway, the two things which I would like you to take home are first the uh, the 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 two for deal for Signum Path. Sign up for a July course, get an August course for free, uh, and then the Humanities Summit. Let any uh, if 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 any of you uh, do teach the humanities, please do. Uh, the the conference is free. It's we're not charging anything for the conference, but it is by invitation. So send a statement of interest uh, to us, and then we will um, uh, issue invitations to take part in this uh, summit uh, to discuss the future of the humanities. So send an email to humanities at signumu dot org uh, to uh, submit a statement of interest for that. So please do pass this along to any other humanities folks that you know that might be interested in this. Um, okay. Boy, there's a lot going on. Lots going on at Signum these days, plus also other stuff, too, which I can't even talk about. Uh, So (laughs) all kinds of things happening at Signum these days. Um, But let us talk about what's happening in and around Estelad. So we have been working our way through the main storylines of the human populations here in Season 5. And we've kind of, and perhaps unwisely, maybe there was an element of cowardice involved, uh, but we've started with the easiest ones and we've been pushing back the hard ones as we go. We started with Haleth, right, which is the most uh, sort of contained uh, and, uh, uh, and, and sort of exciting uh, storyline, right? And then last time we talked about Beor and the people of Beor, um, which is 
still fairly self-contained, um, but, you know, we had some controversy and discussions about how, what, what we wanted to do with them and how we wanted to. And one of my primary arguments there was I would really like to make sure that we have storylines which are differentiating the different groups. So we've got, you know, the people of Haleth and they have their story and the people of Beor and they have their story, not just Beor by himself living with Finrod. I wanted to keep the people together so that the people of Finrod uh, the people of Finrod, they basically become the people of Finrod, right? The people of Beor uh, who live with Finrod in Nargothrond, as we were discussing last time, would become different, right? They would have a different experience. And so they would, moving forward into the remainder of the story in the second half of the season and beyond, there would be a, a very different heritage, a different story behind the people of Beor. Not just a general kind of amorphous population kicking around in Estelad. Um so we talked about the people of Beor. So we've been delaying the subject of the amorphous people of Marach, uh, who kind of vaguely, uh, you know, mill around in Estelad for an indeterminate amount of time. Um, and we're going to start off talking about Hador, because one thing that we decided earlier on in our discussions um, is that we would... Re- so the, the the very first question in trying to to make a cohesive story about this third group of people is that we wanted a figure for them to be focused on. We've got Beor and we've got Haleth. Haleth is a super, really strong character, right? Uh, Who is obviously at the core of the story of her people. Beor is not a strong character in the same way, but he is at least this sort of initial, this sort of founder figure, right? And we're going to have people who come after him, of course, um, and who will kind of complicate the heritage of the people of Beor to some extent as that. And, and, and we talked about the sort of the growth and development of the story of the people of Beor uh, last time. So we need somebody. We need, we need somebody to kind of hang the story of the third people on. And my strong vote from that, from the beginning, was Hador. Um, uh, because of, especially since eventually the people of Hador are going to be, you know, a couple hundred years from now, there are going to be three houses of the Adine, right? We're always going to talk about three houses of the Adine the people of Haleth, the people of Beor, and the people of Hador. That's what it's going to be in hundreds of years, right? You know, when we talk about the three households of the Adine, that's what we're talking about. Um, so my argument was that I would like to have this third group of people be the people of Hador basically from the beginning so that we don't have, we don't spend half of a season establishing them as some like the people of Marach and then Hador comes along and then later they kind of be, and there's confusion like, wait, are the people of Hador the same as the people of Marach? Wait, I just I I want that story to be like clear and coherent from the beginning. So I was arguing for moving Hador up the genealogical line, right? I know he's a later character. He doesn't come along for several generations after Marach and the arrival there. You know, we have Beor comes over with his people. We have Haleth there at least very soon after they arrive. Um, Hador is several generations down the pike in the text. Um, but I was arguing since he's going to be the one, it's going to be called the house of Hador. Everybody knows it is the house of Hador, right? Um, even like casual Silmarillion readers. Is there such a thing as a casual Silmarillion reader? I'm not quite sure that there is, but anyway, even relatively casual Silmarillion reader readers will remember it as the house of Hador. So, um, 
we, I would like to think about um, incorporating Hador earlier on and even having him be involved, perhaps, from the very beginning there. So, um, but of course, the other major character, which I still kind of hope to talk about, and I still kind of hope to talk about both of them, is Amlach. Um, and uh, because Amlach is one of those, I don't, um, I had suggested already several sessions ago that I would be totally in favor of just cutting Marach entirely, right? So that it's, they're, they're never called the people of Marach at all and have Hador be their leader from the time that they cross the mountains. Like, I would be perfectly willing to consider that um, as a story possibility. I'm not saying that I think it's the only possibility, um, but I still want to have him early. If not that early, I want to have him pretty close to that early. Um, so that, again, the whenever these people do get an identity, their identity will be around Hador. Now, Amlach, I would be tempted. Um, I would be tempted to say um, that uh, I would be tempted to say that Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would be tempted to say that we cut everybody else, right? Like, I, I, I don't want to have, I don't want to refer to a whole lot of characters that we don't need unless they have a, a specific role in our narrative, unless there is a reason that we are asking our viewers to remember this person, right? Um, then I would rather not even mention them. I would rather have them not even come up. So part of me wants to say, let's just be merciless, right? And let's have Hador be, like, just there be three. Right. You know, there's Haleth and there's um, uh, there's 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 Haleth and there's Beor and there's Hador. Right. And so cut all of them, cut Marek, cut Amlach, cut all of them. But we can't cut Amlach because the story of the fake Amlach at the council is way too good a story. Right. We obviously totally have to do that story. So for the sake of the story of the fake Amlach, we need Amlach as well. So to me, the biggest picture question is. What are the two roles that Hador and Amlach are going to have within the context of these peoples who are left in Estelad? Um, but of course, remember, the, I, I forgot to mention, of course, the very biggest question. What seems to me the very biggest imperative of our storytelling, and that is that there needs to be a kind of identity. There needs to be a, a recognizable story of the people of Hador, which is not just a repeat of the stories of the people of Haleth and Beor. If their story is going to be the same as theirs, why tell it, right? Why tell the same story twice? We could do a much better job of focusing on just the one story, right? Um, and so we had talked about having this the story of this third people be essentially an in-the-middle story. We've got Haleth at the I want to be independent extreme. And we've got Beor as the, I want to be subservient to the elder. I want to serve the elder and like acknowledge that we are, um, you know, just here to help them. Right. Um, that's the Beor story. So we want the Hador, the people, the story of the people of Hador at all uh, to be um, different and different in the middle. And what we were saying is rather than just having them be kind of lukewarm and boring and on neither extreme, uh, to instead have theirs be a story of, of change, 
right? Uh, you know, to have them moving in a particular direction. Um, and the, the place that we had agreed before that we wanted to, them to end up, right? We want them to end up living in Dor Loman with Hador as their king, right? But with Had with the relationship between Hador and his people being qualitatively different from the relationship between Beor and Finrod, Beor's people in Finrod, right? Whereas Beor is a vassal and servant to Finrod, we wanted the people of Hador to be allies, right? They are meeting the elves, they are working with the elves, the, they ally themselves with the elves, but we wanted to have them meeting the elves more on equal terms than the people of Beor were. And so that would give them a distinction, would enable us to tell a different story. Okay, so... Um, Exactly, Stephen Cover. That's exactly it. So this we are telling the story. This is the Goldilocks group, right? You know, we've got the this group of men is too subservient. This group of men is too independent, and this group is just right. That's kind of it, right? Um, and it's not to say that you know uh, Haleth and Beor are totally wrong, but we do want it to be a different story in that way. Um, um, so okay. With all of that kind of preambulatory material, um, let's go through some of the factors here. And I want to talk about actually kind of both of them at once in order to figure out how the storylines are going to go. Because I, I, we need to figure out what is the work that needs to be done, right? What are the, the sort of narrative tasks, as it were, that need to be accomplished? And how can we best... Um, arrange that in order to, account, to, to to get the most value out of those stories, to make those stories as impactful as we possibly can. So, okay. Um, I'm going to actually just kind of read through the notes from these slides so you can see these notes are uh, uh, suggest questions and suggestions and outlines derived from discussions that you guys have had on the discussion boards. I want to say at the beginning, I am really interesting. I loved a lot of the suggestions that you guys had on the discussion boards uh, during this past fortnight. Um, some really, really good stuff on Hador and Amlach. Um, and I will warn you in advance, just like last time, I was warning you in advance that I thought that a lot of you weren't going to like the fact that I wanted to suggest taking Bayer's whole people with him into Nargothrond. Um, um, but you guys were real flexible and kind of warmed up to the idea, which I was glad of. Um, this time, I'm going to tell you in advance... I don't have I'm not planning radically to depart from your uh, from most of your suggestions. Um, there's still some of um, uh, some of your um, uh, some, you know, points upon which I, I'm, I'm going to differ, I think. But I, I, I totally agree with the general spirit of of uh, really the vast majority of your suggestions. So uh, there was a lot of. Uh, there was a lot of good thing. Yeah, Nick, it's true. It's probably more accurate to say that I've beaten them into submission uh, uh, concerning Nargothrond. Um, I, I get it. I know. But it's all good. <laughs> it's it's all good. But again, today, today, I am I, I, I come prepared to agree with you is what I'm saying. Uh, and I really love a lot of your suggestions. And I'm, I'm, I'm planning to read some of your uh, uh, some quotes from the uh, discussion boards there. Um, OK, so. Stuff about Hador here. The story. Um, this is the story that's going to finally answer, in a sense, the question of uh, of 
the humans' relationship with the elves. Uh, they are going to be allies who fight alongside the elves, neither independent nor vassals. Um, how does Hador distinguish himself? In particular, is he the unifier of his people or the visionary who moves them across Beleriand or uh, someone who connects them with Fingon or what exactly is his particular role in the story? So suggestions involve adventures of him distinguishing himself as a young man. Um, Questions about the council. Now, we should talk about for a second this council because the council is one of the single biggest plot events, really. There are two major plot events. I get three if you include the Dagor Bragalak. But as far as establishing what the stories are going to be, establishing the framework for these stories in season five, there are really two things that we need to resolve, right? One is the story of the migration. We need to get everybody where they need to be, right? So how do we get the people of Hador, A, under Hador's leadership, and then B, to Dorloman, right? Uh, so that's one major sort of story point uh, in season five with this group of folks. The second major story element um, is really the only narrative element we get about them at all in the published Silmarillion, and that is the story of the big council, that they hold a big council to decide, because there are some of them who are grumbling and who are saying, okay, we crossed the mountains, we thought it was nicer over here, but there's like a war going on, and this is awful, let's leave, right? Um, so some of them want to go back and go home, some of them want to help the elves, and and so they have that big council to decide what they should do, right? And that's yeah. the, the moment when the fake Amlock shows up. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, did you want to add something there? Uh, no, I'm good. Keep going. Okay. All right. Cool. So, um, so those, so the, 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 the council major plot moment, the migration to Dor Loman, other major plot moment, right? Okay. So what's Hodor's role therefore going to be at the council? Um, one possibility, of course, that he's a pro-elf voice in opposition. So Bereg is the character who uh, Bereg and Amlach are the two anti-elf uh, voices, basically. They're the ones who are the voices for, uh, you know, human independence. We should just leave, uh, take off and leave Beleriand. And of course, within this, within the Silmarillion narrative, Amlach uh, is not actually there. at the He rises at the council and he gives this really persuasive speech about why they should not believe the elves and how the elves are all deceiving them. And then he shows up later and says, I was never there. I wasn't even at the council. And so they all discover that like some evil agent has come and imitated Amlach. And Amlach then changes his mind and says, okay, I'm definitely going to dedicate the rest of my life to fighting uh, the enemy in the north who duplicated me. And, uh, um, uh, and so he changes his mind and becomes pro, I'm going to stay in Beleriand. But Bereg, in the text, takes a big chunk of the people from Estelad, that initial encampment, and takes them back over the mountains, and they're gone. They leave the story. Um, so, so again, so one role for Hador would be that he becomes the, a pro-elf voice at the, at the council. So we've got Bereg and Amlach, especially Bereg and fake Amlach, right? Evil fake Amlach, who... Is Stephen? Yeah, I think it's. It seems to me almost a given that that's Sauron, right? Um, I mean, this totally, especially based on the character of Sauron that we've been developing, this totally seems like a Sauron op to me, right? So, um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's that's definitely uh, a strong suggestion there. Um, 
but anyway, so we've got, so having Hador have a role at that council was one sensible thing that we could do. Uh, the Dragon Helm, this of course is another big deal. Like how does he establish his relationship with Fingon and Fingolfin up in, uh, in the Northwest, right up in, up in Dor Loman. Um, how does he get the Dragon Helm? Cause he's going to get the Dragon Helm, right? He's going to be given the Dragon Helm. How does that come about? Um, how does he make that connection? Why does he decide to move his people up there? Um, what other meaningful relationships does he have? Does, what is his relationship with Amlach? Um, again, uh, Fingon, does he know anybody from the house of Haleth? Is he, does he know Adenel, the wise woman who is Andreth's uh, mentor um, from the people of Beor? Uh, how, does, uh, how does that work? And, um, and then, of course, we'll have his descendant responding to Fingolfin's call to arms and dying in the Dagor Bragalach. Um, so that's going to be down his, uh, just a little bit down his line. Um, of course, according to the text, um, he's, again, he's later on in this. So we'll, we'll, we'll sort out the genealogies. Hopefully, the plan is in the next session, we'll return after having discussed all of these uh, storylines and decided how we want to shape the stories, we'll come back to the genealogical question uh, and do our revised genealogy to fit the time frame that we're planning uh, for Season 5. Okay, so those are the Hador questions. Meanwhile, related are the Amlach questions. So Amlach begins as a voice of dissatisfaction with the elves. Why? Why, wh- why doesn't he like the elves? Why does he want to stay in Beleriand? Um, what is his relationship with other men? What does the House of Hador think about Morgoth before the council? Um, his story, Amlach's story, um, with the whole fake Amlach situation and everything, is about a loss of innocence and his decision to choose a side. Okay, so he is... In the text, the cousin of Adenel, the wise woman, um, who will reappear in Andreth's story. And we talked about Adenel a little bit last time. She, Adenel, is pro-elf and supports Beor's ideas about the proper relationship between elves and men. And Amlach, in contrast, is itching for more independence and has some doubts about the elves. And I would say the difference between Amlach's separatism, I only just say right now, Amlach's separatism and Haleth's separatism are different. And the primary difference I would say between them is that Haleth Haleth's separatism is a little more pugnacious, right? That is, the difference is they both want to be independent from elves, but Amlach wants to go away from the elves, right? He wants to leave Beleriand entirely, go back across the mountains into Eriador, where there are at least fewer elves and none of this war action going on, so that they can be undisturbed by the elves. Haleth? Inst- she's just like, no, I like it here. I'm going to stay here, but we're going to mind our own business and you're going to stay out of ours, right? So, um, so she insists on staying in Beleriand and instead just wants to make her own little spot in Beleriand where nobody bothers her and she doesn't bother anybody else. It's a lot more stubborn of a move as, as a separatist thing, right? Um, I'm going to be a separatist, but I'm going to do it here. Doggone it. Right. Is, uh, is, is Haleth's perspective. Whereas Amlach and Bereg, um, in the text, if we want to keep Bereg, and I think we probably do. Um, but, uh, uh, anyway, there's, um, uh, there's, there's a, there's a distinct different attitude in saying we want to go back across the mountains and just get out of this whole situation, right? Okay, anyway, um, so 
we have Bereg, uh, who in the text is in the house of Bayor. Personally, I would rather change that um, because, again, you know, in the text, the whole house, most of the house of Bayor is still all there, vaguely in Estelad. Um, and uh, and I made my strong argument last time for shifting the house of Bayor entirely uh, to be able to build a genuinely different uh, elf human scenario with them. Um, and so, therefore, I would not want Bereg to be one of the House of Bear. I would want uh, the other voice uh, alongside Amlach to be from that same house, honestly. And I don't have... I'm a little bit tempted to, again, like to cut. I mean, I, I, I've got my clipping scissors out in this season. Like there's so many characters and I only want to use the ones that we need, but there's a good argument to say we need both Bereg and Amlok's character, right? To have the two anti-elf essentially voices at the council, but because they do different things, they have different destinations. One does actually leave, right? And I do think we do want to keep the fact that a bunch of the people actually do decamp, uh, to decamp from Estelad is just what you would do, right? Estelad needs encampment. So anyway, so they would decamp and go back across the mountains, but then Umlach is going to stay. So having having there be essentially the the three people, um, three leaders of the people uh, of this third group, right? Three voice, three prominent voices. Um, and to me, what makes most sense to me is to have them be Hador, the pro-elf voice, um, Amlach, and Bereg, unless because we're changing him out of the house of Beor, we want to change his name or use a different name for him. Um, I'm not wedded to Bereg. Bereg sounds a very house of Beorian kind of name, right? Uh, so... Uh, if we, I, I would want to take him out of the house of Beor and make him uh, of this house. Um, in which case, we could call him something else. Heck, we could even call him Marach if anyone wanted to, or Malach, or something like that. Um, but anyway, so, but to have those three voices—the two anti-elf voices and the one pro-elf voice—um, so that and so that essentially, we've got we still have the one leader to lead off. Uh, a portion of the humans off into oblivion to show that that is one outcome that some of the men just choose not to have anything to do with the Eldar um, and then some are going to be with Hador the allies of the elves um, uh, and then there's Amlach and this is the final kind of question about Amlach well semi-final um, what happens to him we know that he goes to join Mithros does he lead a bunch of people up to Mithros? Is that what, or does he go off kind of by himself? Does he not end up leading a group of people away after the council? Is it mostly just him or maybe just him and a handful of other people? How do we handle that? And, um, uh, and then of course there's the question of what exactly happens to him. Where was he during the, Why wasn't he there during the council? Are we going to, you know, there's been suggestions on the discussion board that he gets captured perhaps, um, uh, by Sauron, you know, so Sauron waylays him first and kidnaps him, and then, uh, uh, and then, you know, doppel, doppel, what's is there a verb form? Do you doppelgang somebody, or uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I, 
I would think there should be a verb for that, shouldn't there? Yeah. Well, yeah. There, there is the word impersonates, but that's a boring word. I want a word, yeah, a verb I like form of doppelganger. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't know. My, my German isn't good enough to know what the verb form should be. But um, uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, okay. I agree, Marie. The argument in favor of keeping, one argument in favor of keeping Bereg's name Bereg is that it's very different from Amlach and Hador, right? Um, so that when we're talking about those, th I, the, the one thing I kind of insist on um, we could use the name Marach. We could also use the name Malach, but I am not using them both. <laughs> that is not happening. <laughs> that is a nightmare. Um, uh, but um, anyway, okay. You don't think there's any chance of getting Bereg and Beleg mixed up later on? I mean, I it's well, a completely see, different story. We do have a Beleg, right? I mean, we, we, right. We, we have a Beleg and, a, and we're going to have a Baron, of course. So to have a right. Beleg, which is like, you know, the marriage of those, right. two, you know, the, like the <laughs> marriage of those two names. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. That's, it's another reason not to love the name Bereg. Um, now, I agree, Nick, they're not going to be interacting. Bereg, first of all, Bereg is going to be a minor character. Right. I mean, he's going to come in to be an antagonist voice. We don't even really have to yeah. introduce him. Much. We could just introduce him at the council. Right. I mean, he can just be that dude who speaks up at the council, um, who is the spokesperson for the, you know, the naysayers who supports Amlach and who leads, who will show him leading the people away. Right. This guy can be a one episode wonder. He doesn't have to be a major character at all. Um, he could be the human version of Figwit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more than that because he'll get lines, right? But oh, uh, okay. but apart from that, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so um, okay, so these are the questions that we have before us here. Let's. Start with. Hmm. Let's start with the overall shape before we think about the individual careers of any of the three people. Um, hang on a second. Another question that we have to solve is, do we want represent the, the, the council, right? The council that they have where fake Amlock shows up and and everything and afterwards, Bereg or whoever, uh, whatever his face is called, um, whatever that is, whatever we decide to call his face, I mean, um, uh, when Bereg leads the people away afterwards. So the, at the council meeting, do we want to have representatives from the other peoples there? Do we want the people uh, like the, the, the Haladin to send some emissaries, the people of Bayor to send some emissaries, um, maybe the elves? to have a voice? Um, do we want this to be like a general kind of, you know, global, at least pan-human, if not pan-Balerian summit meeting? Or do we want this just to be a council for that group of people? David, Trish, do you have I, any strong opinions on this subject? I, I kind of, I like the idea of um, 
I don't, I don't, I don't think the elves should be participating. Mm -hmm. But I think they're, I think they sent somebody to observe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And it, I do and, like the idea of it being a big council. And it should be somebody who can't resist opening his mouth. Right, right. Well, hmm. So. I agree there. I mean, this, sh it will be obvious to any of the rest of the peoples, both elves and human alike, that the outcome of this council is a big deal, right? Because numerically, this group of people is the largest and most significant, right? So if all of these people decide to take off and go back across the mountains, you know, the people of Bear are swell and all, and the people of Haleth are feisty, but they're also few. There's not, there's not a pretty, it's not a very big uh, amplification of the forces of the elves. If the elves are hoping, as we know they are, to gain allies in their fight against Morgoth, they won't have gained very much if they lose all of these people. Um, so I agree that the elves who are paying attention are certainly going to have... Um, you know, they're 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 definitely going to have a, you know, a horse in that race, essentially, even though it's not about them and they wouldn't necessarily be invited. I agree. They they probably shouldn't have a full ambassador um, because this is supposed to be a council of the men. Right. But um, uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Aha. Uh -huh, right. Of course, Rhiannon suggests Angrod, <laughs> naturally. <laughs> naturally. Um, and of course, uh, yeah, Carinthir, uh, Stephen suggests. Yeah, there you go. There, there, there's there's somebody who can't resist opening his mouth, Dave. Let's have Carinthir show up. He's neighbor, right? I mean, he would take an interest because it's this is happening on his estate, right? That's true. Maybe he's just there to make sure that they don't act up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Marie suggests Amras. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have the elf who is most detached from everybody else, like the the sort of isolationist, embittered, <laughs> you know, remaining twin uh, show up and be in. It is Amras's backyard. I know it. I mean, it would be relevant, uh, but he would be weird as a representative of the rest of the elves. Um, what would make most sense to me, honestly? I mean... I could see Mithros taking an interest because he would want to recruit them, right? I mean, uh, of all of the elves, I would think that, that Mithros would be quick to see the military value, right? Um, I could... Uh, so, you know, hearing that such a council was in the offing, I could imagine Mithros wanting to go down and and, uh, and that would be... a a way to establish a relationship between Amlak and um, uh, and Mithros as well. Um, Mithros could invite him after the council. Um, but um, uh, so that's one possibility, having Mithros involved. Finrod, of course, is the other most obvious. I mean, Finrod is our, our dominant elf protagonist of the whole season. Um, and if the people of Beor are invited... I could see Finrod inviting himself, you know, going along with um, the representative of the people of uh, Beor. Um, 
uh, I know we're getting a lot of Finrod, and it's possible to get too much, even of Finrod Felagun, perhaps. Um, but I'm just saying, as plus, far as logical people to show up. Plus, isn't he the High King? It seems like he would send an emissary instead of going himself. No, no, no. F- Finrod, not not Fingolfin. Oh, Finrod. Yeah, oh, Finrod. Finrod. Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I find myself misspeaking and misplacing things all the time when talking through this stuff. Um, yeah, so, um, so right, and Rhiannon, you're absolutely right. Since the House of Hadar is mo- mostly going to end up with Fingon and Fingolfin, there's reason for one of them to be there as well. Um, so, yeah, so let's hold on that. We might, you know, I'm kind of thinking... What if, the more I think about it, when I'm picturing like an elf standing up and speaking at the meeting, we could do that, especially if we wanted to give fuel to the Bereg Amlach party, the Bereg fake Amlach party, right? I would think that at least some of the elves would basically respect the integrity of what they're trying to like. This is, they're trying to make up their own mind. Like they didn't invite us to this council, right? They don't really want us there. But we've come because we're interested, right? And we want to talk to them. We want to work with them. Um, uh, you know, we want to give them a pitch for remaining, but um, we don't. Um, uh, uh, we don't want the. Um, we don't want to intrude. You know, we don't want to. You know, come in and stomp all over the. Uh, uh, the proceedings here as if we own the place. Um, so anyway, um, I could imagine some like Fingen or even Mithros, uh, and probably Finrod. Karanthir, I could imagine busting in like he owns the place because he thinks he does. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, I could see them kind of, uh, respecting it or, or yeah, just coming in as listeners and, and not saying anything. Um, but I, I would think that it would be important to have a presence there. Um, so I think we need to have this council be fairly definitive. I, I think it's only logical to hinge the whole question on this one point. That is, there are two destinations right? There are two outcomes possible. Well, two in some combination, right? There are two proposals essentially being put before the people here at this council. One is to go join the elves, right? And the other is to leave. So you either take the Hador route or you take the Bereg route, right? Those are the two options, I think, before the men. Um, what I would not like, because it seems to me like a really muddy story, um, would be to have the council and have some of the people decide to leave, but others decide to stay, but not really do anything yet. We're going to stay and continue just like hanging out vaguely here until at some other point later in the future, for some other different kind of reason, we're going to then move to Dorloman, right? To me, let's do those together, right? Like, make a decision, people. Are you gonna are you gonna be all in on this let's ally ourselves with the elves thing, in which case we're moving to Dorloman, 
right? We're moving somewhere. And maybe the follow-up question is, where do we move, right? You know, I'm not saying that has to be one single agenda item, but I think that's got to be the outcome of the council. Um, those who decide to stay decide to move to Dorloman. Those who decide against it decide to leave, right? So in the end, there's very few people left um, uh, at, uh, at the council. This is building up to why I would definitely argue Hador needs to be there. I think that Hador needs to be present at the council because I think that this is going to be his moment um, to lead the people, uh, those who decide to stay. So in the end, you've got um, you've got the Bereg camp and you've got the Hador camp, right? And he leads a big chunk of the people. I would say the majority of the people, um, at least. 60-70% of the people up to Dorloman, and Bereg takes the other 30-40% to of the people across the mountains. Um, that seems to me the cleanest way to have the counts, to have the, the storyline of this group of people go, both in the sense that it gives them a clear identity as soon as they, like, essentially the council is the question of what is the identity of this people going to be. Right. Um, and therefore, that question, I think, really needs to be decided at that point. And if, as I would argue, Hador should be the one who really uh, defines the. Um, uh, the oh, sorry, we're, let me try to go backwards here. There we go. Um, if Hador is going to be the one who really is the leader who is defining this, let's move to Dorloman and become allies of the elves movement, um, I, I really think he needs to be present uh, there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Stephen H. is asking, how do they get uh, to Dorloman? Um, yeah, no, I don't think we need to change the geography either, Stephen. But I don't think it's going to be hard, that hard, to get them uh, to uh, the north. They have to go north, right? So there are two routes that they can take, right? Not the Haleth route. Haleth went the only hard route <laughs> to the to the west from where she was, right? She took the path of most resistance uh, and went through, you know, the... Um, uh, Nandungorthib, Nandun right, through the northern, past the northern boundaries of Doriath and around that way. Um, that's the only route that they certainly can't take. All they need to do exactly, Marie, go up to Dorthonian, cross north of Dorthonian, and go across Ardgalan uh, to uh, uh, up there, and Fingen can come in and guard and help them in that trek so that they're not subject to surprise attacks from, uh, from Angban during that trek, right? Um, so the other route, of course, they could conceivably go down around the south uh, of, uh, of, of Doriath. But to me, it's kind of appealing to bring them up into the north, not only because that's where they're going to live, but even symbolically, the geography seems to match the symbolism, right? They march straight north into the teeth of Angmar, right? Or Angban, sorry. That's where that the Angs are also one of the other things I often misplace uh, verbally when I'm talking about it. Not just the the Finns, but the Angs. Um, anyway, uh, for them, like marching uh, straight through to, uh, 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 you know, not within sight of Angband, but right up in Ardgalan, uh, you know, just in, so that they can be like, and on your and on your right, you will see Angband, the home of Morgoth, right? Um, that 
seems to me very, very fitting. Um, so, um, yeah, and I agree, Marie, it's not like it's, it is still during the long piece. So it's not like Art Gallen is enormously, it's not like it's the, the gasping dust or anything like that. Um, it would be perfectly pleasant to go. And in fact, uh, Art Gallen is still where you go for picnics as we saw in the last season. Right. So, um, uh, it's, although there are very occasionally rampaging dragons, it's quite unusual in fact. So, um, so yeah, that, that shouldn't present too much of a, too much of a problem. Um, and there is something kind of gutsy about parading their entire people past Angband, but that's what I like about it. It's gutsy on the part of, uh, of Fingen, and it's gutsy on the part of Hador as well, right? I mean, this is... This helps to establish the identity of the people of Hador as those people who were thumbing their noses at Morgoth from the beginning of their migration, right? Um, it, it establishes their identity in the migration itself. And that's, that's fun. That's cool. I like it. Um, uh, and I agree, Marie, that does seem to fit with the characters of both Fingon and Hador. I think that they, that it seems to be a thing that both of them would do. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that seems to me to work, uh, uh, to work perfectly well. So, okay. So then let's, if, if that's the case, if that's, what's going to be the outcome of the council and, if uh, therefore Hador has to be present and has to be to have the stature uh, in order to be able to be their leader so that he says, follow me, everybody. And they do. Then we have to establish him first. Um, how do we do this? Now, I really liked the suggestions. Um, uh, Rhiannon, I think you were articulating this um, that. uh uh, I, I think, yeah, so I th- yeah, I'm pretty sure, Rihanna, and it was your suggestion on the discussion boards that we preserve the idea of Hador being one of the young men of his house who goes off to serve with the elf lords, right? So to introduce the solitary adventures, essentially, of Hador as a strapping young human squire, right, going and serving and getting to know Fingon up in the north there first. Um, I really like that idea, first of all, because I... Th- I, there's something that is, uh, I don't necessarily want to lose entirely the idea of individual men going off and establishing, you know, themselves in the house, in, you know, in the households of the different houses of the elves. Um, I argued against that in Bayor's case and in the case of the people of Bayor, because I want them to be a separate case study as a people, not just as an individual. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm against the idea of individuals going in general and from this third people those who shall soon be the people of Hador, it makes most sense, right? These are the one. these are the lingerers. They're the third people. Like the Teleri, they are the most numerous. Like the Teleri, they're the ones who linger behind the most, right? Halith's people make up their mind sooner and they're out. Beor's people make up their mind and they're out, right? In their different ways and to their different locations. The rest of them hang there in Estelad for a while, not yet really deciding what to do. And so from that context... From that first stage of the life of this third house, right? Still kind of living on an Estelade, trying to figure out what they want to be as a people when they grow up. One of the first to have that that stage be marked by several of the more intrepid among them, men and young men and young women, I would say, uh, going out among the different houses of the elves. Um, that I think is a really appealing story and is a good way to give Hador. 
the opportunity to have some opportunities for solo daring do, you know, for him to build up a personal reputation. And, of course, to establish his relationship with Fingon and Dorloman. So if he's there already, if he spends a part of his teen years, right, in the house of Fingon, we have opportunities. I mean, goodness knows there's still plenty of opportunities for action up by Dorloman. It's the long piece. But still, um, there can be some border actions that he can take. There can be some fights with orcs in which he can distinguish himself. Uh, and... Um, I would think that the gifting of the dragon helm would happen during this time. Um, somebody remind me, I remember we, we had the forging of the dragon helm at the very end, didn't we? In episode 13 of season four. Somebody remind me of the status of the dragon helm. Where is it? Where do we need to get it? Where, um, uh, we need to get it to Dor Loman so it can be given to... Right, Telkar made it. That's all we had. So we didn't get it to Fingen yet, but we were going to have it given to Fingen after his defeat of Glorand, right? So we were paralleling the... Sorry, Glaurung. Glorand is his Book of Lost Tales name. This is what happens when you spend a lot of time working in the history of Middle-earth books, as I've been for the Mythgard Academy. You get all kinds of confused with names. Um, okay. Right. All right. So at the end of episode 13, it's awarded to Fingen uh, in gratitude for his, and recognition of his defeat of Glaurung. Great. Okay. So, um, great. So if Fingen has it, then, then, then it's easy, right? That's just where it needs to be. We have Hador taking up service with Fingen. Um, we can have him going out maybe with like a small crew of people. I think maybe if he's not alone, it would be easiest. If Hodder, if Hodder goes out totally by himself, then none of the rest of the people in his house are even going to know what he does, right? Um, so he's going to show back up, and he could show back up with a really swank helmet and an elvish, an elvish, and an elvish posse, right? Um, uh, and still have the rest of his people be kind of uncertain about who he is and what's up with him, right? But if he goes out initially as a teenager, so like, you know, maybe Hador has a, a group of friends, right? Kin and friends who decide we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to go meet the Eldar. We're going to go hang with the Eldar, right? We, we want to see what this is all about. We've heard that there's stirring work to be done up in the North. You know, we are young and our blood is hot and we want to, we want to go and we want to fight and we want to, um, you know, uh, play our part in the wars. So they make their way up to Dor Loman together. Um, because if they're together, then this gives us not only the opportunity for him to return to the council with a, a following, but we could even send some of his following back in advance so that, like, the rumor of Hador and the tales of Hador and his deeds in the north could be circulated among the folks at Estelad prior to the council. Um, so... Yeah, uh, Rian and the elves could invite them. Exactly. We have somebody show up. Who would show up? Um, who, would, who, who, who could we send down? Presumably not Fingon himself or Fingolfin himself. Who else besides Finrod? Well, Rog. Uh, Rogrim, excuse me. Um, except we've already, we haven't, we haven't gotten him back yet, have we? No, we haven't gotten him back yet. We're not going to get him back for a bit. Um, 
Uh, so we would need... Do we have any other named elves up in Dorloman? I know we had Rogrin, but we used him. We lost him temporarily. He's going to come back triumphantly, but uh, uh, we've briefly we've briefly misplaced Rogrin. Um, uh, he's going to escape this season. Okay. If we wanted to get him out in time uh, for this, we could always recycle him for that. Um, anyway, we send uh, we send an emissary. Um, however, we decide we want to manage that in the end. We send an emissary down into the south, so they they recruit, right? I think both Mithros and Fingon both would be interested in recruiting down in Estelot, right? So Hador and a bunch of others come up, not a huge bunch. I'm thinking a dozen? A score? Like, you know, a group, not a not not a hundred, not a thousand, but you know, Hador and you know Yeah. Yeah. 20 good men, something like that. Well, 20 good humans. I would want there. I, I think there should be women among them as well. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, Marie points out that having Anayol watch what happens with Amlach would be very interesting. Boy, wouldn't it, though? That's true. That's tempting. We'll, have to, well, we'll, we'll come back around to Anayol's story. Uh, and when we do, we'll have to definitely remember that. Um, but anyway, okay. So we've got Hador and like 20 folks. Um, who go up north with him. Um, we can think of stuff for him to do up there. Again, there just has to be opportunities for him to distinguish himself in battle, act selflessly, save Fingon's life, that kind of thing. Fingon gives him the dragon helm, um, uh, and his legend grows. He becomes, he's like, a, you know, obvious leadership skills. He's quickly accepted as the captain by the group of men who go up with Fingon. And they're all, you know, so it doesn't take long before that group of people are all like, you know, we would follow Hador anywhere. And Fingon's like, this guy is the bomb. And I'm giving him the dragon helm. And then some of the followers, some of the other humans, right, go back to Estelot and they're like, this Hador kid, he's the, he's, you know, he's, the, he, he's the guy. And so when Hador returns, there's going to be the council. They come back and they're like, Hey, Hador, there's going to be a council. You should come back. And Hador's like, I kind of like it up here, but okay. And then, then he talked, Hador would then talk to Fingon and be like, Hey, plan. Let's go back. I'm going to go back. We're having this council to decide what's going to happen here. I'm going to try to convince everybody to come back up here and join with you. What do you think? And Fingon's like, I think that sounds great. And so the two of them can, Fingon and Hador can be sort of discussing the agreement, right? So that when Hador is going back down, he's not just saying vaguely, hey, let's go north and see what happens, right? He's not saying, let's go beg at the doors of Fingon and Fingolfin, right? Instead, he's saying, I know Fingon. He gave me a shiny hat and uh, he said, we have lands in the north that we can have. And not only can we have our own lands in the north, but there'll be places where we can contribute, right? There is work to be done there um, that you know, we, can, we can play a part in safeguarding all of the realms of elves and men, right? And so he can make a stirring speech about how they can fulfill their destiny and do their part and how awesome it will be. Um, so that, I think, to me, works really, really well. Uh, for the backstory of Hodder, obviously I'm kind of waving my hands at the details here, right? Um, but um, yeah, now Nick, that's a really good question. What trick? What or who triggers the council? Um, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know, actually. Like, whether Hodor triggers the council? Does he call it? Does he come back and say, okay, everybody, huddle up. I've got a proposal for you. And then Beric and Amlok kind of come out of the woodwork and are like, uh, no, we're not into that. Or it could work the other way, right? Hodor could receive word from the like his lieutenant who went back home to Estelad to spread the news of his awesomeness. Um, not that that would have been the thing that Hodor sent him to do, but you understand what I mean. Anyway, that's what he was doing. Anyhow, um, so he comes, but he comes rushing back and he's like, Hodor, like the people are going to leave. Um, you know, there's this like Bereg dude and, and um, these, you know, Bereg and, Am- and Amlok are like spreading, you know, all of this, uh, you know, faint hearted, uh, white feathered talk right and they're wanting to go back across the mountains and Hodor is like Menon right and he goes down and uh and uh and gives his speech and like encourages him to stay so I could see either one either side triggering it or maybe even like you know there's just the general sense of um we need to make a decision so let's call a council and we'll bring Hodor back and whatever I I kind of I kind of like the idea of the naysayers calling the council. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of like the idea of the naysayers calling the council. Um, and um, uh, and then Hador returning. It gives Hador's mission, right, to go down and... Um, invite people to come to the north and and when the, it gives it a kind of an underdog sort of air to it right it makes his his and then you know so then and then he you know so he comes out of nowhere basically out of nowhere again they've heard of him you know uh but um um it it, it makes that you know, there's a little bit of sort of drama there yeah Rhiannon thinks Bereg and, and Amlak should start the council um uh yeah yeah it does establish Amlok as anti-elf before he's doppelganged by Sauron. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so. Good. Yeah. So let's have Amlok and Beric call it. And so then we have somebody like hot footing it up to the north. It's going to take them a while to get it together because they, they don't they're not real unified, right? They're kind of, they live all over the place. So, you know, they've called, you know, the, the big meeting. Um, uh, oh, what's that? Uh, what's that wonderful Icelandic word that they use for like the meeting when everybody comes together and like makes a huge momentous decision, like the big decision they did in like medieval Iceland to like decide to convert to Christianity as an Island that like the, there's a, there's a really cool Icelandic word for this. The all thing. That's it. The all thing, Margaret. That's exactly it. They call an all thing. And, uh, uh, you know, for like, you know, two months down the road or something like that. Um, and, um, uh, it wouldn't be cause it would take a while. Um, it wouldn't be because, yeah, Stephen H. Exactly. It wouldn't be about authority. I don't think it would be that Amlock would have the authority necessarily necessarily to call the council. I think that um, it would just be they that is Bereg and Amlock would have to be kind of going around, you know, like homestead, you know, steading by steading, essentially, and saying, hey, um, 
Do you think it's lame here in Valerian too? Because we totally do. We're trying to get everybody together and 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 say let's like leave here. How does that sound to you? Um, uh, so, um, yeah. So, Stephen, you were asking Stephen H. You were asking a very sensible question about um, like the leadership pre Hador, right? Like. In this first stage, right between you know Asu, you know Beor is gone, Haleth is gone, Hador is you know in diapers. Who's leading this group of people? And my answer is nobody. I don't think they have a central leadership at all. I think that this is the most amorphous group of people. I mean, they are amorphous in the text. I think it's the most amorphous group of people. I think they're just there's a bunch of like more significant families, right? There are some more powerful families who have influence because they have like the most land and, and, uh, and their neighbors respect them and everything. So Amlak and Bereg are important in that way. They have like a local rep- reputation because they're the heads of uh, like major, you know, significant families within the people. Right. Um, and so, you know, they would be just kind of politicking, but the people as a whole, they wouldn't have a central leader. They wouldn't have a king. Um, and so that would be another sort of major identity change, right? That they, when they decide to take Hador as their lord, um, because this is the other thing, like that the house of Hador is going to become the most, like the line of Hador is the most king-like of all of the three houses of the Adain, right? Uh, the, 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 the Haladim, they're not into, I mean, they follow Haleth because who wouldn't follow Haleth, right? Uh, she'll, you know, she'll break your shins if you don't follow her. Um, but, um, uh, but they're, they're not into like authoritarian leadership, right? Um, the people of Beor aren't really going to be about a king either, necessarily. Um, in fact, one of the things that I would really like is to sort of, sort of show some different uh, kind of governing structures, in those two groups of people, but the but from Hador forward, there's a king of this third group. They have a a leader who is a military leader, um, and who has real um, who has real authority, right? Um, but but I don't think they have a king before that. They're just like again, they they never did. They're just. They wandered together as a people because staying close to the rest of the people was the safest place to be. And there were a couple families that decided they were going over them. You know, some of the most important, you know, the most powerful, the biggest families who decided they were going over the mountains. And so the others decided to go along with them because it was safest to stay together. And so that's how they ended up over here. Um, They didn't necessarily follow like a single charismatic leader um, into this place. Hador will be their first charismatic leader. But Bereg and Amlak are trying it out, right? And their authority will be of a different kind from Hador. Their authority is more of the, you know, we're one of you, right? We are like, you are farmers and homesteaders around here. We are farmers and homesteaders, right? We are just successful examples, successful and influential and rich examples of that kind of thing, of like, of what you are. Hador comes in and says, hi, look, I am different now. I am like a knight in elvish armor with a shiny hat. Uh, and I am going to lead us in a totally different direction in a, into a totally different destiny. And people dig it. Right. And they decide to change their ways and to follow them. Um, so, 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Consolidated centralized authority is Hodor's new development, and it will be, Marie, as you say, made easier because Beregs naysayers have all skipped, uh, they all leave, right? So it's not like he wins over 100% of them by any stretch, but those he doesn't win over leave, right? Uh, so that he leads a unified people into the north. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen covers at wondering who's proposing an autonomous collective um well that i uh, uh holith <laughs> uh, the people of holith i think are you know they might not quite be an anarcho-syndicalist commune but i think they're the closest to it uh of the uh of the the, the human peoples but you know perhaps um it could well be that Amlach and Bereg are, you know, acting as an executive officer of the month when they decide to call the council, Stephen. So that's also a very viable possibility, I suppose. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you guys thinking about this Hador story? Does this does this seem to hold together? Do, do, does this uh, is this is this sounding reasonable? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think. Okay. Good. I, I like him being the I like him being kind of the pro elf angle. I yeah. also like yeah. Uh, I like the so so his his is his return from the mission going to happen at like a critical point in the middle of the uh, the conference? Well, it would be especially dramatic if he wasn't there at the very beginning, wouldn't it? Yeah. Right. Um. Uh. And I mean, he I like shows. Shows up at the ideal time. Yeah, to turn I mean, the time you know, the debate. that could easily get cheesy if we don't handle it right. But uh, having a little bit of drama of like is because I mean he he would be on a mission to you know help save the continent at that point. I mean if if because this is the biggest group of people if they all just wander off, it's going to greatly affect the future of Beleriand here. So um, you know it is a bit of a rescue mission there. Um. Yeah, Nick. Nick says that wouldn't appear convenient at all. Yeah, I know. Like I said, we, we, uh, we certainly w wouldn't want to get too, um, um, uh, sort of uh, cheesy, you know, in uh, in 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 the last second thing. But um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think we could we can we can we can do something there. Um. Okay. So, Stephen, I agree. Um, we don't want. All right. Somebody remind me of my time frame. At the end. Well, okay, hang on. We haven't decided when the council is. Let's talk about that. I'm thinking the council can happen. Sometime after. The migration so we can that initial period in which this group of people is amorphously remaining in estelon um while some of their young people are going off and living it up with the uh, with the eldar um that period of time the pre-hador post you know holith's departure post Beor's departure holith and Beor both take off Beor and his people all take off fairly early on in the game right but there can be a gap I think even a generational, like a, a you know, a gap of, 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 of a generation or more where they're just milling around still in Estelad um, and have them come to the decision point 
later on so that Hodor doesn't have to be. I, I think to have Hodor in this role, I don't think it has to be right away. Um, uh, now, the downside, um, uh, the downside is that the downside, the, the downside of it being a long time is that it seems to me a little bit weird. Like, the longer they've stayed in Estelad, the harder the argument Bereg would have, I would think, to leave, right? I mean, wouldn't the primary options seem to be... If, if everyone at the council was born in Estelad and grew up in Estelad, wouldn't the primary choice be, do we move to the elves and help them? Or do we stay here in Estelad, where we all grew up? The idea of picking up and leaving and moving back across the mountains begins to sound like a weird thing to do. Like, why would they even want to do that? Um, why would that even seem to them like a good idea? What would be their motivation to say that? I mean, Bereg can be a sort of anti-elf extremist so that he can make an argument just to say, like, no way, man. We, we want a mountain range between us and the Eldar, believe you me, right? Uh, so that's reason to pick up and just go from Estelad. Um, but so yeah, the longer that, do, do you see what I mean? The longer the gap, the more the, that inertia would say they should just remain. Um, so I don't know. We could still do that, I think. And, and, and we could, as Marie suggested, we could have their, we could have a problem emerge in Estelad such that they're kind of something or other forces them to move. Like staying isn't really an option for one reason or another. I don't know what flood, fire, pestilence, something. I don't know. Um, uh, dwarves, <laughs> something with the dwarves. <laughs> I'm trying to think of ways to bring dwarf plots in. I, I don't know. Uh, but um, but if something were making remaining in Estelad a non-option, so that it was really before them, we, we've got to go somewhere. Where do we go? Do we go west or do we go east? That simplifies the council situation. Um, yeah, so I can't think, Murray, what that could be exactly, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Stephen H. points out the hostility with the Green Elves. Yeah, now, thank you, Stephen. You'll remember that I was saying I didn't want the hostility of the Green Elves to play a large role in Holleth's story, because uh, I didn't want to make her just like a, a an anti-elf bigot, you know, based on her her... Um, encounters with the green elves. Um, I wanted her just to be kind of independent, purely sort of independent from the start. Um, but I said I didn't want to lose the unfriendship, certainly, uh, of the green elves. So it would be with the people of Estelad that um, the green elves would have unfriendship, right? Um, so... Now, Nick says that was a long time ago and it wouldn't influence this because they've already moved past the power of the Green Elves unless they haven't, right? What if they are expanding? So if we, if, if more than one generation of men has already lived there in Estelad, um, they're going to be growing at a, at a rapid pace. Um, so they're expanding. So they, we... All we have to do is shift things a little bit for them to be back in the Green Elves' way again. Um, 
Exactly, Marie. They just, well, we just need some of them to go down into us. Well, <sighs> is there a reason that Estelad can't be closer to Osirian in the first place? I know one potential answer to that is Karinthir. We want it to be near Karinthir, but Karinthir's only role, really, in this is with Haleth, right? Um, and Karinthir is mobile. I mean, he's a hunter. He wanders all over the place. There's no reason he couldn't be a little further from home when he encounters Haleth and, and has that exchange. Um, uh, yeah. Um, hang on a second. Let me, uh, um, I'm, I'm pulling up a map of Beleriand following, um, Marie's very sensible suggestion here. Okay. Here we are. Map of Beleriand. So, um, we've got Assyrian over here, right? Thargelion, which is in here. So this is, so Carinthir is up here by Lake Helivorn. And Estelad is down over here, south of Nan-Elmoth. So they, they've migrated out, leaving Assyrian and stuff behind. And so they end up in this open land here between Thargelion and Osirian on the one hand and Doriath on the other side. And then here's Himlad and Mithros up here in the north. Right? And so Estelad is down there in the south. I would argue, I don't think we're absolutely wedded to that. Um, I think we could budge the location of Estelad a little bit if we needed to. Um, if we wanted to make it a little bit more uh, um, a field. Now, Marie, you're right. We don't have to have Haleth be in Estelad. So if we, if Karinthir needs primarily to interact with Haleth and the Haladin, then they can be, I mean, we could have, you know, Haldar and his people be, um, uh, Haldan and Haldar and Haleth, have the, all of them, right, uh, be kind of separatist from the beginning, right? So they've established their own place uh, up closer to Karinthir. Um yeah. I'm not changing the geography, Stephen. I'm just changing where these people are. I'm not I'm not moving the River Gelian. I'm not moving Osirian. I'm not talking about that. My question is just where do we want to locate these people? Um if we're gonna leave them if we're gonna put them if we're gonna put them down in a place for a while, where is it most convenient for us to place them within the geography? That's my that's my question. Um If they were more in Thargelion, this provides us a couple of opportunities. So if we put these people, if we, if we relocate Estelad, essentially, here into the Thargelion, this gives several options to us, story-wise, right? Um, 
it gives us the options of having them be nearer to the green elves. And so we can have some uh, ongoing unfriendship there, right? As they expand and as they wander out and go on logging expeditions or whatever, right? Um, that's one advantage that we'd get from that. Also, we can have them interact with dwarves should we want to do that. You know, we've talked about wanting to maintain some dwarf storylines season by season. We haven't yet decided what dwarf storylines we might be able to squeeze into season five. Um, but if we did want to do that, having a collection of humans nice and handy to have that, uh, those storylines involve humans and dwarves seems like... Uh, not necessarily a bad thing. We could could put them more southerly, down by uh, Amon Arab. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Nick, I'm not. I'm not even trying to imply what the dwarf storyline would be. I'm just saying if they're closer to the mountains there, um, especially again near the dwarf road that leads down to the Sarnathrod. Again, if they were if they were in this southern part of the Thargelion, they'd be very likely to meet dwarves. So we don't have to do it, but if we wanted them to, there they are, right? Um, though, Marie, your suggestion of them being further south near Amon Ereb raises the very attractive proposition of having holding the council meeting on Amon Ereb, which would be kind of fun. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't insist on the relocation. I'm just thinking about... All I'm saying is, if we want to find... If we want to make Estelad too hot for these people so that they have to leave, um, I don't think we should let the geographical... Like, where the name Estelad was written on this map be an obstacle to that storyline if we want to do that. Um, of all of the realms in Beleriand, the exact location of Estelad seems to me one of the least significant. That is, we will change less in the whole rest of the world in the story by shifting Estelad than we would certainly by shifting any of the others. Um, uh, yeah. So... Oh man, Marie says they could be cutting down trees in Nan Elmoth to get uh, uh, and getting Aeol's attention. Hmm, what Aeol would do uh, to the men of Estelad would be interesting to think about. Sure, uh, certainly. I don't know. It kind of seems to me a little extreme to say that they have to leave. Like you know, to really make Estelad to make a move imperative. Um, and I kind of like the idea. I don't know, but apart from that, apart from my concern about the, uh, the generational inertia that's likely to happen, um, if, uh, if they remain there too long, um, people in general support of my suggestion that the council should be comparatively late in the human game here. I do agree, Marie, that the um, the are two essential plot parameters, right? It has to be after the stockade battle, right? After Haleth and the Haladin leave. And it has to be before 
the people of Baor move up to Dorthonian, up to Ladros, up here, right? There's Ladros north in uh, Dorthonian. Um, so, bef in that range is when the move up to uh, um, up to to Hithlum has to happen. Um, but I think it could be. <clears throat> I would put it definitely closer to it. Sh it should be before the people of Bayor move out. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. Yep, yep. Um. Yeah, mid-season-ish, Marie. I would say that it's before. If our break in the middle of the season happens. So let me see. Rough chronology. Beor visits. Beor visits Nargothrond. Beor brings his people to Nargothrond. Halith, you know, the Haladin have the Battle of the Stockade and they leave, right? And we've got the 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 journey. Uh, of the people of Haleth um, ending up ending up in Taglin. Taglin, sorry. Another one of those words that I've always mispronounced since I was a child um, uh, and have a hard time saying correctly. Uh, um, the, uh, um, uh, yeah, sorry. And then Hador goes up to the north and has adventures in the north. And then the council is held and Hador leads the people one way and Bereg leads people the other way and Amlak does his thing. And then the people of Bayor move up to Ladros. That seems to me that gets everybody where we want them to be for the latter part of the season, which is the build up to the Dagor Bragalak, right? Um uh, Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um no, I definitely would want the council to be after Haleth's story. Um, mostly, be Rhiannon, because Haleth's people are more decisive than that. Like, they're, they're, like the people of Bayor and the people of Haleth make up their minds soon. The ultimate decision of the House of Hador comes afterwards. After we've established the two paradigms and also shown some of the problems. We show some of the problems with the people of Haleth. Right, some of the problems with the fact that they're, um, uh, that they're being so fiercely independent. I mean, the whole trek across Nandungorthab is itself sufficiently problematic to show that perhaps her particular brand of stubbornness is not wholly without its downside. Right, um, the House of Beor. We we've talked about problems developing in the House of Beor. Um, uh, such that they decide to move because it's in their best interest to move the the failure of the um, of the the new Valinor project, right? Um, so I want those paradigms to both be established first. Then we have this next and as it were final decision to be made by the people at the council, uh, the the last house at the council. Um, yes. Okay. Um, good. Good. 
Um, yeah. Now, Marie, you're right. And inter interactions with ale would certainly give people reasons to distrust elves. Um, yes. Yes, it would. Um, as would the green elves. I mean, they, they certainly are the ones. It is certainly this group of people that I would like to have experiencing the unfriendship of the green elves. And that can be one of the things that leads um, to, I mean, Bereg, that can be one of Bereg's tipping points. Like why Bereg says, look, let's just, we're out of here, right? These elves, they're hunting us for sport, Right now, that's not really what's happening for Osirian, but Bereg could be forgiven for thinking that. Right, Bereg's experience of the unfriendship of the Green Elves would be: there are these crazy elves living out in the forest over there who hunt us for sport. Right, we're not safe here. And then there's Karanthir, and then there's that Aeol dude. Right, um, and then there's you know Captain Unfriendly who lives in Doriath right across the way. We are surrounded by. Um, lots of reasons to be discontent here, right? Yeah, we've carved out our own little space here, but it's only a matter of time until we're either exterminated or subjugated or whatever sketchy things these elves have in mind, right? Um, so yeah, yeah, the more I think about this, the more it just sort of seems like, look, this is a bad neighborhood, right? This is a, this is a, we don't want to live here. Like, I, you know, we need to look at the big picture. And this is even if we discount the orc invasions, right? We add on top of this the fact that we get the periodic orc invasion breaking through. And this is no paradise. Yes, we've eked out a place here. But you know what? It's safer on the other side of the mountains. No orcs, no elves. Everything's fine, right? Um. Hey, Nick. Sorry, I, Nick, I keep addressing this to you because I know that you are a major dwarf advocate. So um, what if there's a dwarvish connection with Bereg and his people? What if some of the dwarves, um, like maybe some of the dwarves of Nagrod, are actually trying to recruit the humans as their allies um, and are offering them like passage through the mountains or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. Um but um, but yeah, oh, Stephen, absolutely. Into the midst of this, Sauron. So Sauron's big play, right? I mean, the 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 fake Amlock thing. Um, it, you know, his decision to doppelgang Amlock is just like the crown jewel of his campaign, right? Sauron has a new project in season five, and his project is this group of people because he can see that if he can get, if he can build enmity. There's all kinds of good good things that can come for Morgoth's crew from this, right? Ideally, he can start a war and have these humans get together and start attacking the elves around them. That's like, you know, the gold star for Sauron's campaign. At the very least, let's permanently alienate them so that they go back and leave Beleriand and don't benefit the elves at all, right? That's the that's plan B. That's the that's still a win. Um, it's not the like supreme win that starting a war would be, but um, but still it's pretty good. And then, um, uh, but and then of course defeat is what happens when Hador comes in. Then Hador comes in and ultimately undoes Sauron's plot by taking the vast majority of the people up into his arming them and uh, using them as like that's 
exactly what Sauron didn't want. Um, uh, so that would be bad. But again, but Berig would be a success. So I don't know. Um, you know, Matt Duke asks, are there no orcs on the other side of the mountains? Well, we don't know, but there's got to be fewer. Right. I mean, the forces that uh, Sauron or sorry, Morgoth has at his disposal here are going to be mostly focused uh, on crushing the Noldor. He's got time to expand over the mountains and take out Eriador and Ravanian and all the rest of it. Right. Uh, later on, um, I would think he'd be focusing the majority of his orcs here. So, yeah, I would think that things over in Eriador would, in fact, be comparatively peaceful, in fact. Um, See, Marie, I was also thinking that the dwarves don't much like the green elves. And so, you know, that's exactly what suggested to me the possibility of uh, uh, that plus the crossing back over the mountains. And that's where the dwarves live, you know. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. So Sauron definitely making trouble there. Uh, and so this is what leads them ultimately to the crisis of the council. So maybe that's one of the things that's on the table, right? In fact, I bet you that if Bereg and Amlach were to try to um, set the agenda for the council, what they would say is, we have two choices, right? Choice number one, leave Beleriand and never return, right? Get ourselves clear of this bad neighborhood and this ugly situation. Option two, fight, right? Claim this place for ourselves and fight back against these, you know, uh, purge Nan Elmoth of that dark elf character. Uh, go and, um, uh, you know, uh, carve out and burn down the forests of those, uh, uh, of those, you know, uh, uh, green elves down there in Assyrian. You know, so like th 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 those would be his two options. Do we fight or do we uh, or do we leave? And those would be, of course, Sauron's two goals, right? And then Hador comes in and is like, option C, right? We stay and we fight and we join with the elves. Um, and that makes it more, uh, again, and I, I don't know that we need to exploit the drama of him showing up at the last second or two days late or something like that. Um, his own position would be sufficiently radical and for him to to win for him to move the people um uh to his comparatively extreme position would be a cooler triumph and of a, a sudden upset for sauron's plans uh there in uh beleriand and of course a good reason for morgoth to begin a pretty hard grudge against the house of hador from the start, right? Um, okay, so um, I am not a hundred percent convinced that Hador has to have died of old age by the time we get to the Dagor Bragalak. Actually, I think that Hador could still be old and die and fighting and die in the battle. Um, he so can, you're basically, are you trying to merge hot ores? Sort of. Yeah, well, because I'm, I'm wanting to compress the time frame a little bit. So I think we right. can, can kind of, I, I think we might be able to, to kind of have our cake and eat it too, as far as hot ore is concerned. Because if he, he, he goes to Hithlam as a teenager, right? 
He's like 14 or something when he goes and first enters into Fingen's service. And he's there for like maybe 10 years, right? I think that Hador could totally be a really impressive like 25-year-old at the council, right? And then he leads the people into the north and, um, and then he could be still... No, yeah, I guess he would be too old, Maria, right? It'd be close, though, right? Because Andreth is going to be young, and she's going to still be alive at the Dagor Bragalock, but she's going to be old. But I guess if we were talking about the possibility of her being 80 or 100, having 100-year-old Hador wouldn't be quite so appealing. But that's okay. That's okay. And yes, you're right, Nick. She doesn't need to be uh, bearing arms and armor uh, in the in the in the in the battle um but okay that's fine and hey <clears throat> yeah upside it gives galdor something to do it gives galdor a reason to exist so that's fun um yeah why not why not um galdor of course is one of those characters from the text who is mentioned almost exclusively in genealogical contexts, right? That is, he doesn't do anything in the story um, other than beget Hurin, right? So, um, um, yeah, exactly, Nick. That's exactly the re... Well, but yeah, we'd actually have him do something. Anyway, so um, I am open to that. I'm open to that. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, so we can give Galdor a little bit, a little bit of a story, maybe. We can get to him a bit. Um, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so that's good for uh, I think we're good on Hador. With Amlock, we've decided a lot of the council questions. Um, there's not too much left to talk about with Amlock, actually. A little bit. Maybe we won't quite finish Amlock, but we'll come close. So Amlock is with Bereg. I think that Bereg... Amlock... Hey, ooh. If we have the two options, the... Let's be expansionist and establish our hold on this land by force and teach these unneighborly elves what's what. And let's leave. What if Amlok is the aggressor? What if he's the feisty one to start with? So Amlok, and this gives a distinction between Amlok and Bereg's approaches to the council. Bereg is the let's get out of here camp. And Amlok is the let's fight them camp. And then Hador comes in and says, no. That way, they're not just, you know, Tweedledum and Tweedledee as we approach the council. Amlok and Bereg, I mean. Um, and then Amlok's conversion is sort of more dramatic, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, that fits in kind of nicely because it, it maintains his character, 
right? His position change. He has he has a real change of heart, um, especially since what gives him the insight is the fake Amlock situation, right? And so what is exposed to him specifically? He doesn't have a conversion about trusting the elves exactly, right? I mean, it's not like he emerges from the council being like, I now love elves. I hated them before, but now I think they're awesome. That's not what happens to Amlak. What happens to Amlak is, okay, there is an enemy in the north, and he's definitely against us, and he's uh, playing us. I, I know he's playing us, because he's clearly playing me. Um, and uh, uh, And... So it shows, it like reveals to him the whole, he begins to see the truth of the whole thing. So, so yeah, Rhiannon, what I'm suggesting is that Amlach himself is leaning towards the aggression against elves camp. Um, this is why when fake Amlach appears in the council, this is why Sauron chooses him. Because Sauron chooses Amlach because he's the one who's... Like, it's not going to seem strange. If Sauron shows up in Amlach's form and gives a... Because his... Again, Sauron's plan A is to foment war in the eastern half of Beleriand, right? If he can do that, th this is that's absolutely his optimum outcome. So he... Um, so he tries to do that. So Amlach is his chosen tool for this, right? But he decides that he wants to show up as Amlach himself. No one's going to think anything because they've heard Amlach talking in this way, but he wants to control the, the room, right? He wants to use his own powers of persuasion. He doesn't trust Amlach to do the job in the end, right? So he's going to come and take over and do the thing, right? Um, but it backfires on him because Amlach ends up showing up, which he wasn't supposed to do. He's supposed to take him out. Sauron would have decided to, like, off Amlach or something, Right. Uh, so that he um, when so that he can then show up and then he can lead the like get the people to war and then he can take off. Right. Maybe he, he even plans to lead them into war. Right. And then just like, you know, take off in the form of a bat at an inopportune moment, uh, leaving the, them on the field to be slaughtered or something. You know, um, anyway, th probably something like that would be Sauron's plan. Um, so. Fake Amlock comes and makes his speech, and everyone's like, "Wow, Amlock's really feeling it today, right?" I mean, like this is—we've heard him talk like this before, but wow, this is—he's really pulling everything together today, right? Now we see this is really the thing. Um, so, yes, Marie, this would mean that Amlock would still be feisty and interested in fighting, but now he has a grudge against Morgoth, so he turns it around. Um, and decides to fight against him, and so therefore joins with the elves. But he's still not an elf lover in general. But he gets Mithros. He and Mithros are kind of kindred spirits, in that they're both all about fighting. So both of them are willing to ally with each other, because they both, they're both on the same page when it comes to taking vengeance against Morgoth, right? So, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, exactly, Lincoln. Amlock's enemy is Amlock. Is, is, uh, yes. Um, 
Well, yes. Okay. He takes as his ally Morgoth's enemy, right? Morgoth's most bitter enemy. Um, so I know there's there was a movement on the discussion board to have Amlak actually captured by Sauron, um, maybe captured and tortured so that he can be kept out of the way. I do like the idea of... So my only resistance to this idea is that I, I don't want to go too far over the top in ratcheting up the drama, you know? Um, and having like a, you know, like a hostage crisis um, at the same time that the council is happening. Um, I think we'd have to be careful. It could go a step too far, but I kind of like it. Um, I kind of like it uh, in that it makes sense for Sauron's plan. If Sauron is all about fomenting troubles down here, Amlak would have been his tool already. Amlak will have been manipulated by Sauron. I think that Sauron should already be taking human form um, and living among them. Um, and he could be like Amlak's friend and supporter, right? So he's like he's like Amlak's worm tongue, basically, right? Um, and, uh, and then he takes Amlak's place for the big day. Um, but he would want to get Amlak out of the way. So having, having uh, Amlak hauled off and uh, captured somewhere. Um, uh, my only question is, why didn't he just kill him? What reason would Sauron have for capturing Amlak instead of just cutting his throat? Needs some information from him? Well, if he already knows him, he'd be able to counterfeit him reasonably well. Yeah. I don't know that he would need him for anything. If, okay. What if we combine the two stories? So the story in the text is that Amok is just out of town, right? He's just away. Um, and we're not told exactly why he doesn't make it in time. He just shows up late. And when he shows up, he finds that someone else has impersonated him and he's like, what the heck, right? Um, in our story, we have him being captured and held away from the council. What if we combine the two? He's away. Um, we need to find a reason for him to be away. He can't just be randomly wandering about. But he leaves and Sauron doesn't know where he's gone. So Sauron's like, oh, great. Just when I wanted to, I was about to cut his throat and now he's gone. So I guess what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to leave somebody to, um, uh, I'm going to have to leave somebody to, uh, um, uh, you know, capture him, like wait for him in ambush to make sure he doesn't show up. Right. Because, you know, now I don't even know where he is. I've lost track of Amlock and I need to impersonate him. And if he shows up, it's going to be no end of awkward. So um, I'm going to take some of my minions, probably Thorin Gwethil, because uh, I think we already killed Tevildo. Um, I saw suggestions that it be Tevildo. And though I kind of like the idea, I think Tevildo needs to be gone already, unless we're going to stretch Halleth's story out super far. But I think Halleth is done by now. So I think we need to, I think we're done with Tevildo. Uh, but anyway. So he probably sends Thorin Gwethel uh, and, you know, like a squad of ninja bat assassins to, uh, uh, like, ambush him or something so that we could even have him not be captured but have him be ambushed 
but saved from ambush? If we want to have him rescued and have even have the possibility of having Mithros rescue him, um, we could have him, like, them trying to ambush him and kill him and have him rescued there. Um, so that way we don't have Sauron making the inexplicable decision to keep him alive for no reason. Um, uh, well, Nick, the only reason I can think of that Thorin Guethel isn't killing him is that I, I would think Sauron would have told her to kill him. I mean, I, I, would, have th- I would think that would be her orders. Um, um, Amlok, I don't know where Amlok is, but I need him not to come back, so please, uh, um, you know, don't let him, don't let him return. Um, Nick is asking, why does he leave before this council he's called? I don't know, Nick. That's what I'm trying to think of. First of all, he doesn't have to be absent. That is, I mean, he has to be absent, but he doesn't have to be deciding to go on a trip that will make him miss the council. He thinks he's going to be back for the council, except he gets ambushed along the way, right? And so maybe he's, like, injured or something. Um, and so he's rescued by Mithros or Rhiannon suggests Amras or somebody, right, um, uh, rescues him. And but he's hurt. Right. So he still can't make it back. And, you know, and if it's Amras, like he wouldn't even maybe know that the thing's happening. Right. Um, uh, but um, anyway, yeah. So he. Um, they're like tending him and then like he wakes up and, you know, he's like, how long have I been here? And they're like, oh, it's okay. You're fine. We've been treating your wounds. Like you've been unconscious for a couple of days, but it's no big deal. And he's like, what? I missed the council. I missed the all thing. I got to go back. And so he rushes back and finds out that he unbeknownst to himself was actually there. And, um, Steven says he could be rescued by passing dwarves. There we go. A dwarf plot. Oh, a heroic dwarf plot, not a dwarf's uh, disgruntled dwarf still bearing a grudge against the green elves plot. So we have another alternative there. Um, uh, okay, Nick is suggesting Caranthir could kidnap him because of his anti-elf rhetoric, and then Thurin Gwethel steals him from Caranthir, uh, and Mithros finds out and rescues him from Thurin Gwethel. Well, Nick, that would be just in case the storyline is is insufficiently complex and we want to add some uh uh some uh twists in our storyline we 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 always have that option um <laughs> it could work it could work um but um yeah. Anyway, we, we can work that. We can. I mean, I, you know, as we get closer into that, and we're doing our episode by episode, we can we can make the. But but the logistics of that seem to me sound, and it seems to me like by having him be the warmongering human leader, that seems to I, a, a more consistent character in Amlock seems to be emerging. Right? Um, spunky, not particularly wise, fairly hot headed, um, strong, um, militaristic. Um, and he, I think the turning point of the council, he he would come back while the council was still happening, right? So he comes in late to the council, but he comes in and, um, 
after fake Amlach has already left, and then he throws his support behind Hador. Because he's militaristic, right? He's like, yes, we should fight, but we should not fight the elves. We should fight Morgoth. But he doesn't want to go. You know, he's like, Hador's not his style, right? And Or maybe even he's wise. Maybe Amlach says, you know what? I've got, you know, I'm a militaristic dude. You're a militaristic dude. I've got my supporters. You've got your supporters. This is never going to work. I'm going to abdicate to you, and I'm going to go off by myself to Mithros, or maybe just like his household or something like that. Um, but Amlak throwing his support, this this character of Amlak that we're developing would. I mean, if he decided to stay, and if he decided, no way, man, I'm focusing all of my pent-up aggression against Morgoth instead of the elves, he would throw in with Hador, and that would shift. The, and now it's just Bereg on, on his own with his separatists. Right, so we end up just having the split decision. Um, yeah, yeah, good. It, it, Nick says he could parallel Anil's move and feel like he can't be trusted. So like he abdicates because he feels like he's an unfit leader because he was manipulated by Sauron, um, uh, and so he decides to go off and, um, you know, join Mithros's, you know, PTSD support group. Uh, up in in Hithlam and, you know, work things out there privately um, while still joining the fight against um, against Morgoth from there. I have to say, I really like the idea of Amlak kind of going into retreat with Mithros. Um, not retreating as in battle, but is like going by himself rather than leading a group of people. Because my biggest problem is if a large group of people follow Amlak, even if it's only like 10%, you know, if if hundreds of people follow Amlach to Hithlam, or not Hithlam, um, uh, uh, I'm losing my words. Um, where did I where did I put the map? There I there I put the map. Himlad, thank you. Good grief, Himring, that area up there with the H. Um, if uh, if hundreds of people go up to Himring with uh, uh, with Amlach, then we need like they need a future. What happens to them? I mean, we're not going to, unless we want to develop storylines of the people of Amlach, uh, who, you know, that group of humans who's over there hanging out with Mithros, um, you know, if we don't want that, we shouldn't have a, a, a group move up with them, right? And I don't think we want that because we want Mithros ready uh, for the um um the easterlings right to come over um he needs to be primed for boar and ulfast um and if he's already got a bunch of people with him i think it's going to complicate boar and ulfast when they come over so yep uh that's it that's it so so yeah so but if he goes by himself it's different then it's an abdication. It's a retirement from public life. Uh, and he goes up to Himring on his own um, because he knows a kindred spirit when he sees him. And they're both scarred and, you know, again, support group. So that's good. All right. Hey, I think we did it. Did we do it? I think we did it. Amazingly. I think we did it. I'm s Now, we didn't talk about Adonel, but that's okay. We'll save Adonel. Um, 
and we talked about Adonel last time some too. I think that Adonel is, um, I would like for the people of Beor, who are at least to start with a very peace-loving people, right? They, they're going to, they're domesticated, right? Like literally the domesticated pets almost, right, of the elves of Nargothrond. So they're not going to be a militaristic people. They're going to have the most pacific leadership structure of all the three groups, right? Um, if the people of Haleth are ruled by the one strong leader, right, in Haleth, who perhaps does not pass down a an obvious rulership to her heir, right? Maybe they choose... Uh, an heir of the Haladin, not patrilinear, patrilinearly or even matrilinearly. Um, um, but um, anyway, if she doesn't do that, but instead, you know, so, so so they like take a, you know, a chieftain from like the strongest one among them, like Haleth was originally or something. Um, but anyway, it should be more like a kind of a tribal chieftain kind of situation with the, with the Haladin. Um and Hador, post Hador, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, an anarcho-syndicalist commune in phase one of their lives. And then they're going to be a monarchy under Hador afterwards. The people of Beor, I see as like ruled by a council of the wise, essentially. Not like an oligarchy, really, but the unofficial leader, like the leader in as much as they need leaders because they've got Finrod, who's their leader, right? But in as much as they have leaders, they are led primarily by like the wise ones among them. Um, and um, they, and so Adonel and Endreth would be the, I, I would really want them to be the leaders. I'm not saying that we get rid of uh, entirely of Boromir and, and I mean, and you know, we need Bara here and we need Baron and stuff. I, I'm not saying we get rid of any of them, uh, but I am saying that I think at the time of the, at the end of their time in Nargothrond and at the time of the change, the shift up to Dorthonian, um, they should be ruled by the, the fact that they are ruled by A, a wise person who is B, a woman, is something I think would be really cool about the people of Beor there. Now, Stephen H. brings up the very sensible point that they're going to end up in Dorthonian, like on the front lines of the battle, which seems a strange place for the people, for the, the really Pacific people to, to, to go. And my response to that is that's exactly why they do it, right? Remember, we had talked about Adonel and Andreth leading the people to make that choice and say... Um, we need to leave here. We have a different calling. Um, we need to play this very different role. And so they don't choose the front lines by accident, right? They choose to move up to Dorthonian. Um, it's still, you know, near Dorth near Nargothrond, not geographically, but linearly. I mean, it's Finrod's brothers, right, that they're going to go up and live near. So Finrod is like, okay, I can set you up, up in the north. Right. You want an active role. You just you you've decided that your people really should change how they are, not just be ours. And uh, Nick, we don't have time to talk about it today, but remind me to come back to it. I really liked your idea 
and I, Nick, I, I, I'm saying this with alarming regularity these days. I don't know which one of us has changed, whether it's you or me, but I'm agreeing with you like all the time now. Um, it's kind of eerie, but um, I really liked your suggestion about the, the, the way that the culture of the people of Bayor changes. I think that's really cool. We don't have much time to talk about it now because we got to go. Uh, we'll come back to it, though, uh, next time. But anyway, so yeah, Adenau and Andreth are leading the people. They're the ones, I think, who, who make the call to go up there. Once they're up there in the north, they're going to need, they're going to, they're going to become rangery type, right? They're going to become, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the woodsy frontier people. We talked about this before. And they're going to have, in that context, they're going to need now a military leader, you know, who is going to be the captain of their band, right? Um, and that's going to be Barahir. Right. And and Baron after him. So we will have that role for a more active leader of the people. But Andreth is still going to be, you know, it, it's, you know, Barahir is still going to come back and consult with Andreth. Right. She is still the wise woman uh, who is most revered of all of their people by that time. Um, but. Um, OK. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, um, that's what I. That's that's what I like now. And Steve and I agree they're not going to be real useful immediately. But this is one of the things that even Finrod is going to come to understand. Humans change real quickly. It's not going to take them long in a generation. They're going to be different. Um, they're going to move to Dorthonian and they're going to be initially sheltered and helped and protected by Angrod and Ignor, Right. But not sheltered in the way. Right. The new model. Right. Uh, Finrod and Andreth will establish the new model for their people where they are helping and ruling themselves and doing their own thing and moving out from beneath the skirts of the elves. Um, and within a generation from the time that we have at the in the at the end of the first half of the season to, you know, the second half of the season. By we get by the time we get to the Dagor Bragalak, we've got. You know, um, the, you know, special forces of Barahir and, and Baron up there. So, yeah, the shift from young Andreth to old Andreth during that time, during her long lifetime from Andreth as like 16 year old, um, you know, uh, uh, student, right, of Adenel up through to Andreth, highly venerable, uh, wise woman of her people. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, benignantly jilted lover of Ignor, um, the, the, the people of Beor will have changed during that time. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a very quick glimpse back at Adonel and, uh, and, and Andreth. Okay, Cool. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this was a really fun discussion, and we did all the things. Whoops. So, oh, hang on. Look at that. All right, look, I'm so excited. I'm losing my PowerPoint here. Um, so next time, uh, we're going to be on Thursday, July 2nd, uh, is our next session. Um, and we're going to be doing more about Andreth. There's a lot of her story to work out. I've got, like, we've talked about some basic parameters there, right? But there's much more to build on. And let's move up towards Bar here and think about the front half, you know, the, the latter half, I should say, uh, of the stories of men and see if we can iron out the genealogies and stuff like that. So 
we're um that's the plan for next time awesome thank you everybody uh, for all of your suggestions like I said you guys have, were, were, were awesome on the discussion you're always awesome even when I don't disagree even when I don't agree with you you're awesome um, but it was awesome that I, I really loved your ideas this time and I thought there was a, a lot of really wonderful stuff there thanks for listening and Godspeed